where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Morning. You're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble. You search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast. It's easy. It's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, and sometimes on YouTube, which today we actually are on YouTube. Then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and hopefully on BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's theroadtoconcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at theroadtoconcord.com. He's a little slow right now, but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. Phones are on today, 229-469-0335 for registered numbers. We only accept calls from regular known class members. If you wish to call in and are a regular classmate, you may request access through an email. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them. <clears throat> You're going to find out today, Joe is an acquired taste. Especially when he's off script like today. This show is listener sponsored, meaning we do not solicit business advertising. So we're not limited in the content we provide for y'all. With that said, we ask for your participation on a value for value basis. If you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link on the Road to Concord blog page, the show description on Rumble, and the comments on the other streams. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You'll soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. <laughs> no lesson plan. <laughs> um... All right, good morning, folks. What I had intended to do today got rewritten at the last moment. I stumbled across something that I studied literally 30 years ago. And I still remember it, but this is going to be a Jimmy Zinker day. He's going to, hopefully he'll get to hear or watch this show. He's going to love this one. Let me explain, because I am literally putting this show together in my head live with you. And this is, imagine that we were in some sort of class where you've got to learn how to you know, teach. And what happens is you come into class and, you know, all your classmates are in the auditorium with, them, with you in college. And the teacher hands you a subject on a three by five card. And you got to give a 30, you know, 30 minute or an hour lesson on what's on your card right there and then off the top of your head. That's what I'm doing today. This is the first and what will be another series of shows that we're going to set up on BitChute and, and, and YouTube. Originally, I had meant to start addressing what the, the Christian church calls the Hebrew Roots Movement. It's a, it's a movement to get back to the, the Hebraic thinking or the Hebraic origins, the, the ancient Near East, what people would think of as Jewish origins of the Christian faith. The, the 
the bulk of the believing church sees this movement as heretical, legalistic, and it's not without merit. There's good reason for the criticisms. But this is what I wanted to start to address, and this show will be the first in that series, but for a different reason. The Christian church, when I'm, and, and please understand, I have no better term for this. I don't know what more you want me to call it. The visible church, the Christian, I, I don't know. Just for practical purposes, we're just going to call it the Christian church. I'm not trying to disparage anybody. I'm not addressing people. I'm addressing theology and doctrine and thinking of the body of Christians itself. When they criticize the Hebrew Roots movement, a lot of their specific individual criticisms, and they, like I said, the Hebrew Roots movements try to get back to like a, like a book of Acts type church, a okay, first century church, what they believed and how they lived. When the modern Christian church criticizes the people in the Hebrew Roots movement, a lot of their criticisms are, they're accurate, they're applicable to those individuals within the movement but not to the movement itself. Now, the people within the Hebrew Roots movement, they don't understand, for whatever reason, they don't seem to understand or recognize that the Christian church is correct in the, in the uh, criticisms for individuals. And that's probably because the people in the Hebrew Roots movement understand the truth of the movement, of the thinking, of the direction, where they're going with their understanding of Scripture but they don't see that they as an individual have got things wrong. So what ends up happening is you have Christian heretics accusing, for lack of a better way, way of putting it, Jewish heretics going back and forth. Because understand, folks, Orthodox Judaism is just modern-day Pharisees, literally. And the Christian church sees the Hebrew Roots movement as going back to Judaism and Pharisees. So they think it's a heresy and they're correct. But the Christian church doesn't realize it's just as heretical. And by heretical, I mean, they've, they've missed the mark. They've gotten off of the narrow path, the path that the scripture defines. How did this happen? Well, I wanted to address that specifically today. I can't. We have to go look at why it happened at the roots of where and how it happened, what is the philosophical driving engine behind this? And the reason we're going to have to do that today is because it's driving modern, the modern world. We're going to look at what is the, the origins of the modern Western world. We're going back to the very beginning of Western civilization. And it's going to include Christianity, and we're going to be in the Bible today, but we're in history. This class will have a little bit of for everybody if you want to pay attention. I don't have a lot of graphics for you. We are going to throw up some websites. We're going to work through them. This is going to be an unorthodox class. For some folks, it's going to be boring. It's not. If you want to understand how we got to the mess we're in right now, then this class won't be boring. This class will be fascinating to you because it will hopefully, hopefully. Because it's fascinating to me. I'm trying to set the table. I apologize in advance. I'm not as organized today as I usually try to be when I come to you. This is literally being put together in my head on the fly. It, it's an hour and a half old, the idea in my head. Okay, hour and a half old. So let's go over this. Let's, let's get into this. What we're going to be dealing with 
is the Stoics. You know, you know, you've heard the word Stoicism. It comes from a school of Hellenistic philosophers, Greek philosophers that called themselves the Stoics. And they become Latinized, Romanized. If you understand Hellenistic, you know that's not a good term to a Christian, or at least not to a Jew. It's a Gentile way of thinking about the Bible or different regions in the ancient world. In other words, Greece takes over. They Hellenize your world. They, they're the Borg. They don't destroy you. They just assimilate you into their culture. It's an ancient melting pot. They destroy your identity with a flood of their own culture into yours. And eventually you disappear inside their culture. Very Borg-like. Do not dismiss the imagery today. We are thoroughly, and I mean 100% sitting in spiritual worldview right now. This is unseen realm stuff through and through. But it's going to, you. if you get lost in the material, well, very good. You're a stoic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hopefully that clicked a light bulb in somebody's head out there, at least one of you. The Stoics don't like that. They don't like the spirit world. Everything for them is material. So let's start with some of this. I'm going to start in Wikipedia. And what we're going to do is we're just going to peruse through Wikipedia. And I'm going to read certain sections of it. Like I said, this is going to be a little boring for you. But pay attention to the editorial comments I'm going to add to you. Because this is the important part. This is, and I, I understand if you're looking at the screen, you're probably not going to be able to see this. So I will try to do as much as I can as though we were on just radio and we don't have the chalkboard today. But this is from, this is Stoicism on Wikipedia. And this is the Stoics is a school of Hellenistic philosophy, Hellenistic, Greek, Greek thinking. Okay. As in ancient Greece, you know, Alexander of whatever and Troy and all that ancient Greece. That flourished in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. The Stoics believed that the practice of virtue is enough to achieve eudaimonia. This is the important part here. Eudaimonia or eudaimonia, or also known as eudaimonia or eudaimonia. There's different ways to pronounce it. It's a Greek word literally translated to the state of condition of a good spirit, which is commonly translated today as happiness or welfare. Folks. This is the pursuit of eudaimonia. This is the pursuit of happiness in the Constitution, the moral virtuous life. You've heard me tell you this before. It becomes a part and parcel of English common law, according to Sir William Blackstone, the authority of English common law at the time of the foundation of the United States of America. It was part of the law. The English common law, they got it from Stoics. This is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, would call joy. Now, here's part of what I'm going to try to do today for you. As we kind of literally, and I'm confessing, we're going to muddle and bumble our way through several of these pages. And I'm going to explain to you what's going on. You've got two different worldviews clashing here, the Greek and the Hebrew. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. This is a biblical confrontation. It's a spiritual worldview. The Stoic worldview is very 
susceptible to being twisted by pagan, pagan thinking in religions. Okay. But it can be easily misunderstood for being biblical. And that's because what the Stoics have tried to do is taken the first two chapters of the book of Romans and twisted into a reality that doesn't require God, Yahweh. In their case, reality is, it, it, they come very close to Gaiaism, as you will see. If you stick with me today, I'll show it to you. Why is all this important? You grew up breathing this stuff. It is literally the air you breathe. You grew up in the Western world. This thinking, stoic thinking, is literally the air you breathe, so you don't notice it. It's why I had forgotten about it. But I've been trained to incorporate and be, be elastic in my thinking to incorporate this and that and take the good and the bad and, and jump back and forth or see things from one person's perspective to another. So I can take stoic thinking and still jump into the Hebrew mindset. I've been taught how to do this. It takes time. It takes practice. Okay. And some people will never learn to do it. It's a, it's a part of a mindset, but there's nothing special about me. I've just had different training than most of us have. That's what philosophy school is about. So the Stoics, this is the pursuit of happiness in the constitution. It's a virtue, the moral and virtuous life, what Paul calls joy. But to the Stoics, what is moral and virtuous, the origin and what it is, is different than what it is to Paul. This is very progressive, folks. Pay attention. We're going to use the same language. But we're talking about two very different ideas behind the words. This is progressive in nature. This is spiritual. This is the progressive spirit. And it, it stems all, it goes all the way back to 300 BC. So we have a spirit that's 2,300 plus years old. And it has not changed its nature. And it has reared its head in our modern world here in recent times. You will see that as the day progresses, as this class goes on. So the well-lived, flourishing life has got to be according to the moral and virtuous life according to a Stoic. The Stoics identified the path to achieving it, it, it with a, a life spent practicing certain virtues. We're going to have to understand what they mean by virtue. You've got to practice these virtues in everyday life, such as courage temperance, living in accordance with nature, you know, like nat natural law. Be careful. Their idea of natural law is a little bit different than what our founding fathers would, but it's close. It's very close. This is where part of this idea comes from. And the Stoics predate Paul writing in Book of Romans 1 and 2, but they do not predate the Bible. That's important to understand. It was founded in ancient, and uh, we don't, we're not going to care about that. I don't care about that. Let me Scroll down here, their philosophical system. This is the part I want us to see. The Stoics provided a unified account of the world. So this is a worldview that unifies everything. It's constructed from the ideals of logic, the ideal of logic and monistic physics. We're, we're not worried about that. Naturalistic ethics, in other words, natural law, as they understood it. And of these, they emphasize ethics as the main focus of human knowledge, their idea of ethics. We will get to that in a few. Hold on. Through their logical theories were a more interest for later philosophers. Okay, so they have an influence on the Western world. Here's where I'm wanting to go with this. Stoics teach that the development of self-control and fortitude as a means of overcoming destructive emotions. 
In other words, they teach self-control, mental over, over physical. That's being born again, folks. The Bible tells you to get a hold of your fleshly self. So this is a biblical teaching without the need of Yahweh or his prophets or his law. That's part of what, this is where we're going. This is teach the same thing, but rest it away from God. That's what's going on. And it's happening before the Messiah came in the flesh. It says, uh, and this is, this philosophy holds that becoming a clear an unbiased thinker allows one to understand the universal reason logos or logos universal reason you have heard me tell you this before charlie i'm going to pop you in here just a second because we're going to have you talk to us about something in just a second hold on as soon as i ask you about it it'll go fireflies in your head I have told people before that logos to a Greek philosopher is a much bigger word than looking it up. And it just means, oh, it means the word. It means word. No, it does not. It means the universal logic that pervades and reason that pervades the whole universe. Like the universe is a lie to the Greek. <laughs> well, who's on the radio? You know who this is. All right. Let, let time out. We'll get back to this. Hold your point. Yes, caller. How can I help you this morning? Oh, there's a snake behind you. Charlie, you let this guy in. Make him go bye-bye. Get rid of this guy. Dump him. I don't like that language. We're sorry, folks. The phone system said it was somebody else, which means How that somebody that? hacked that in and good. now knows the phone number of a regular caller and that? mimicked it. That is not. Holy crap. Yes, Charlie. That is concerted attack that by people with money Soros. and ability. That is Soros. Holy man. They just mimicked a phone number on Magic They just Jack, spammed folks. a caller ID that. Yes. That, that, oh, that took some work. That also broke laws. Yes. That was illegal what just happened. Yes. That we're gonna have we to might find need out to hand what we to, can do about We that. might need to hand that to our black hat. Yes. All right. Back to where? Yes, ma'am. Just saying, over the target. Yes, ma'am. Over the target. Ooh. All right. Sorry about that, folks. We apologize, yeah, especially for the language. We thought we knew who was calling. Yeah, that that came through with with a legitimate caller's. I'm not going to say caller who it was, ID. Yes, but uh, a that, registered caller. Yes which means somebody went, looked up his name and number and, and spoofed it. That's illegal. Not that it matters. I'm, All right. I'm angry right now. Yeah, well, let me get back to this. I'll, I'll get you out of your anger in just a minute. Okay. Logos. I'll try. The reason this is important to me, I've, I've tried to explain to people, to the Greek mind, this is the, this is the, this is the force in Star Wars. That's the Logos. To, to the Stoics, Logos or Logos, that's, that's the force in Star Wars. And it's alive and it's conscious. So when you read the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, there was the Logos. If you read it in Greek, it says Logos. That's Stoic thinking creeping into the New Testament. And that's okay if you understand it. But Charlie, in the Hebrew, it would be Memra. What's that mean? Yeah, Memra, man. I don't actually like the word Memra, but... Uh... Uh, That's what it would be. Well, it would be Dever. Okay. Uh, in in Hebrew. But uh, that's not what we're told. Places, the the memra of God, not the Dever of God, doesn't come to people in the Old Testament, isn't it? The memra of God that comes to him. Well, memra 
from my understanding, is actually an Aramaic term, not a Hebrew term. Okay. Um, so the var then would be Hebrew. But devar is is, devar. is the Hebrew. Well, why am I bringing this up? Because it 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 connects directly to messianic prophecy, and it also connects to uh, it connects to Trinitarian thinking. It it <laughs> it goes deep. This well is deep. Yes. It means it, you would simply translate it as the word of God. Yes, but you also connect this to Torah. Yep, the teachings to, of God, teachings so of Yahweh. It, it, gets, it, it gets so intertwined in that. And that, I guess, is probably the point you're trying to make here is from a Stoic point of view, you would just say, oh, that just says the word. Okay. And then yeah, that's, that's what the they did is they took a biblical concept and appropriated under man's control. They're moving theity, the uh, theos. They're moving deity from Yahweh to man. They're they're creating a, a a false god called reason, logos. Yeah, that's literally what the Stoics have done, literally. And and they, it's Gaiism, you know. And only it's on a universal plane instead of the earth being a living thing. The universe is a living thing with a conscience, and the conscience is reason, and you can tap into it. That's Stoic thinking. That's also biblical thinking, but the worldview is what's important to the Stoics. It's just reason. And you have to, you know, it, it doesn't have a conscious will. It just is. It's, it's, it's an inherent virtue in itself. Reason. It just permeates the universe like the force, which is literally that's logos star Wars. This is apples to apples a comparison between the force and logos to the Stoic, but to the Hebrew mindset, the word of Yahweh, the, the, the Devar of Yahweh, or Memra, whichever way you want to do this one. When you're reading the Old Testament, it says the word of Yahweh came to or spoke to or whatever. Most of us read that, and we think what we're talking, you know, God's talking to somebody from in heaven. Charlie, is that how our Hebrew reads, or are they actually talking to somebody who's in front of them in physical form? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Most of the time, it's a little, it could be either one. You got to pay attention to the context. What you're talking about here is a Christophany. It's an appearance of the Messiah before he's been incarnate. It's Yahweh presenting himself in physical form. And the scripture calls him the, the word of, of the Lord. In your English translations, it'll say the word of the Lord. Yes. In the physical, they're right. Sometimes this word of the Lord actually thumps people on the head, kicks them, talks to them, gives them things. This is a physical interaction, which is why Charlie tells you this is going to connect to the Trinitarian thinking. It's going to it's going to connect to everything. Yep, to the Torah, to the Messiah. So to, to the Hebrew it's... mindset, Logos is the mind of Yahweh. To the Stoic, it's just a thing that permeates the universe. This is important because this is paganism. They have created a god out of the out of the material creation now i don't know if that's going to help any of you yet i hope it will but this is very influential on the early church fathers and they start interpreting scripture this way if you interpret scripture through this worldview you will get it wrong guaranteed 100% you have to because you're worshiping the wrong god Thanks, Charlie. I'll I'm bump. still angry. Yeah, I know. 
you work hard to prevent that from happening. So the Stoics are also the source of logic. Most of the logic I teach you, it, it owes a lot of its work to the Stoics, but also to Aristotle and Socrates and et cetera, et cetera. What I want to jump us to next, this is Wikipedia. I put these links in the Rumble show notes for you. So if you, um, they're, they're not on the blog page this today. If you go to the description in Rumble, I put them literally right there in the links. This is um, whenever I link you to um, off of the road to concord.com, the blog page, left-hand margin, there's a link to fallacies. That list of fallacies comes from this page here. It's the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy. I like this page, and it's been very helpful to me today. And we're going to read through this intro to the Stoics real quick in this page. And I'm going to offer you some commentary. This is why this is important. Hopefully, I'm keeping your attention. I know that a lot of people are going to find this boring. But if you don't have this understanding, or at least a general sense of it, under your belt, as this series on the the fight back and forth between the Hebrew roots movement people in the in the Christian Church and the visible Christian Church, you won't understand what's going on. This is why neither side, neither of those sides, pretty much understand what's going on. Stoicism originated in a Hellenistic philosophy. It's found in Athens by whoever, 300 BC, thereabouts. Influenced by Socrates and cynicism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it goes into Rome. From there, it'll go over to Rome. And certain Roman emperors liked it. Certain ones didn't. Marcus Aurelius really liked it. and He tried to influence it. But here's the point. It influenced Christianity, as well as a number of major philosophical, philosophical figures throughout the ages, like Thomas More, Descartes, Spinoza. In the early 21st century, saw a revival as a practical philosophy associated with cognitive behavior. They brought stoicism up into psychiatry and says uh, cognitive behavior therapy and similar approaches. Stoicism is a type of udiamonic virtue ethics, uh, asserting that the practice of virtue is both necessary and sufficient to achieve happiness. So you have to practice. There's the pursuit of happiness again. However, the Stoics also recognize the existence of indifferent things. In other words, to them, being rich or poor is indifferent. Both are of equal value. Unless, of course, they get in the way of your reasoning. And it's they've also helped to develop a sense of logic, type of logic. There are different types of logic. Um, the one I teach you or the one you see me using most is, it's a hodgepodge of all of them. Here's a little rabbit. We're going to take a time out. We'll come back to the Stoics again. We're going to pick back up in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Logic is a set of rules, nothing more. You apply those rules according to the definitions of the concepts you are using. The rules apply to those different concepts the same way. So if I'm a, a, a Stoic or I'm a Hebrew, Logos and the Devar. The word of God and the in the the reasoning of the universe. Logic will apply to both conceptual worldviews and thinking equally the same way. It doesn't matter. Logic the rules of logic are neutral. But the concept, form and function define how I define the words and the ideas and the thoughts that I'm thinking about. That's what changes. So if for a Stoic Greek. I think that the primary thing in the universe is this inherent reason. It's it's just this thing we call reason, whatever. They don't really try to define it. They think it just is and that it's self-evident. 
we hold these things to be self-evident that reason exists throughout the universe. It's an inherent part of the universe. It's part and parcel of the universe, like gravity and the speed of light and space, you know, height, width, length, all that stuff. It's just a, reason is a, is a, uh, a dimension or whatever, however you want to think about it. They don't really define it. It's as much a part of the universe as atoms are. Okay. And you have to tap into it. It's a pervasive force in and out of, and they, they literally think that it can come in and out of things. Okay. And we, we will get to that, but this is what reason is to them. And logic can be applied to that worldview in the exact same way. And for them, it will yield the same results for them. Their truth will depend on how they look at the world. This is important. Please pay attention. For them, truth depends on how they perceive the world. For the Hebrew mindset, that all-pervasive order in the world is the Torah, the teachings of Yahweh. It's, it's Yahweh's rules. It's his Bible. It's, his, it's all of the commandments and ordinances and decisions and rulings of Yahweh, the, the creator God of the universe. But the difference here is, He's not inherent in the universe. He's transcendent. He's above, outside of it, beyond it. To the Stoic, everything is contained in the universe, which means everything. there is nothing other than the material. And to the Hebrew, the material is less real than the spiritual. But to the Stoic, there is no spiritual. Not really. The spiritual is part of the material. It's just another level or a hierarchy within the material world so there's nothing but the material you see how we're starting to already get into this nothing exists but the material world that has permeated the christian church which is one of the reasons we've gone spiritually blind we say oh yeah we believe in god and angels and everything but we don't actually live our life as though we we believe it the stoic says you must live your life according to how you believe to the stoic doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. How you act shows me your virtues to a stoic. Well, to the Hebrew mindset in the Bible, we call that works. How you act tells me a lot. You know, that's what James says. You show me your faith. I'll show you my works. What James is telling you is I'll see what you believe by the way you act. Well, it's the exact same thing with the stoic. So now logic works both the same for both of these people, but they have entirely two different worldviews. The way that the stoic acts is going to be based on the idea that there's nothing but the material world and logic is a good virtue that permeates everything. It's an inherent part, which by the way, means that human beings are inherently virtuous. That's not a biblical principle. To the Bible believer, the Hebrew idea of things the original ancient near east you know what you might want to think of as jewish to the hebrew mindset there is a spiritual world and that is more important and more real than this material one i'm supposed to live in the material world as though i'm a part of the spiritual world when i'm born again that's what i'm supposed to do words being born again means i break from the stoic thinking thinking that there's nothing but the material and i recognize that the higher order and the higher plane the higher more real existence is spiritual i can't see it and touch it but logic will tell me it's there when i start thinking as a hebrew
But if I only think as a Stoic, Hellenistic Greek, I'll never find, logic can never find the spiritual world for me. What they have, what you, what you have here, is the first germ, this is the seed. The Stoics are the first seed of what will eventually be known as secular humanism. It has been used as a worldview or an overview to interpret scripture. So what happens when I interpret the Constitution through the worldview lens of a progressive? Do I end up with the understanding of the Constitution as the Founding Fathers understood it? No, I don't. I read it as though I was Karl Marx, and I end up with, oh, the constitutional support socialism. That goes directly against what Madison said. You know, Madison, the man who wrote the Constitution? But that's okay. For the progressive, it doesn't matter. He's read it through his worldview. Well, if I read the Bible through a stoic, Hellenistic worldview, I'm going to come up with wrong understandings. And it'll eventually taint and twist and change the way I understand my faith to the point where I start practicing a faith that has nothing to do with the Bible. The exact way we now practice a constitution that has nothing to do with the constitution that was given to us by the founding fathers. This is one of the things that Stoicism did to us. And it happened gradually. It boiled the frogs. And it's made a huge comeback. At one point, Christianity stomped out Stoicism. But did it? Stoicism found its home within Christianity. What's happened now is we've abandoned the faith, and Stoicism has stepped outside of it because it's no longer needed. A wolf is no longer hiding behind the clothing of Christianity. He's just strutting down Main Street out in the open. By wolf, you guys should know what I mean. If you're a believer, you should. Now, this is where it's going to start coming together for us. I'm in Encyclopedia Britannica. We're going to read through this. There's certain parts of this I want us to look at. I want to be able to stitch it together. I know this is a disjuncted class. I've got that. Try to help. Try to help me here with this. Focus on what I'm teaching you. Give me your attention if you can, as best you can. Stoicism is a school of thought that flourished in Greek and Roman history of classical antiquity, Bible times, and before. It was one of the loftiest and most sublime philosophies in the record of Western civilization. Sublime. Oh, it's so great. One of the things I like about this play, this site is if you hover over it, you, usually they give me a def, well, they're not going to do it today. Anyhow, what they mean by sublime is they think it's a great and it's a, uh, it's a beautiful philosophy. And that's because the people who are writing this article are heavily influenced by Stoicism. They've accepted a lot of it. In arguing it, it, participation in human affairs, it, it, it urges that you get participate in human affairs. Stoics have always believed that the goal of all inquiry is to provide a mode of conduct characterized by tranquility of mind and a certainty of moral worth. In other words, you have peace of mind because you know you have moral worth. How are you going to get there? The nature and scope of Stoicism. For the early Stoic philosophers, as for all post-Aristotelian schools, knowledge is the, the knowledge is no longer the pursuit held to the ends of itself. Okay, in other words, you don't pursue knowledge just to just to know it. Knowledge is not the me the goal. Okay, for the Hellen the Hellenistic age, for the Stoic, it's a time of transition. 
and the Stoic philosopher was perhaps the most influential representative of the time. This would be the controlling part in the Greek world at the time of Jesus. It's a new culture was in the making. The heritage of an earlier period with Athens as the intellectual leader, it, it was going to continue, it, but it's going to undergo many changes. And like with Socrates and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, known for rationality, said to the, the hallmark of Stoic beliefs, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not reading this word for word. I'm reading through it real quick and commentating for you as we go. But it says, uh, to know yourself, rationality is the sole means by which something outside of yourself may be achieved. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't need the scientific method. I just have to be reasonable. I can use logic to learn about everything in the world. Well, folks, the problem with that is you might perceive something one way and somebody might perceive something the other, and the two of you will come up with different truths. It would be almost like your truth is mine. I mean, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. What's true for you might not be true for me. That's stoic thinking. But what they'll tell you is if you have right reason, we'll all come up with the same truths. So you have to know how to reason. Well, if you don't know the secret to how to reason, you can't come up with truth. That's Stoic. That's also Gnostic. So Stoicism and Gnosticism, you know, secret truths, they're kissing cousins. They run parallel within each other. The, the thinking does. Stoicism presented a, a virtue as a virtue, a way of accommodating for people to whom the human condition no longer appeared as a mirror of a uniform, calm, and ordered cosmos. In other words, they're looking for a different way to explain the reason of life. What's the meaning of life? For them, reason alone could reveal this con uh, constancy of the cosmic order and the originative source of unyielding value. Thus, reason became the true model for human existence. To the Stoic, Virtue is an inherent feature of the world, no less inex inexorable or inexorable in relation to humans than are the laws of nature. Okay, garbage, garbage, garbage. I understand. I'm having a hard time pronouncing the word. What are they saying? We're going to go back to that. What are they saying? The only thing that exists is the material. You can under and, and then the uh, the goal of the human life is to live a moral and virtuous life pursuit of happiness. That's happiness. That's, you know, or whatever the Greek word is, whatever. It doesn't matter what the word is. The goal is to live a happy life. Happy is defined by living a virtuous life. It's got nothing to do with being comfortable or uncomfortable, rich or poor. None of that matters to the stoic. All that matters is that you get in alignment with this, this thing that they call virtue. And how do you find it? Well, through reason. Virtue is just a part and parcel of the universe. And it's natural law. It's the natural order of the universe. It's force. It's, you know, it's just one with the universe. The universe is alive. You've got to get one with it. Once you do that through nothing but reason, well, that's the happy life because you know you're at one with the universe. Folks, this is thoroughly paganistic thinking. But it, it permeates the entire Western world. This is how science got off track. Science was created by Christians that were trying to understand the creator better by looking at how he worked in this universe. You know, what we think of as natural law. But the Stoic comes along. The Stoic doesn't necessarily recognize a God other than the virtue and reason. So the Stoic will come along and grab hold of science and tell you since there's only the material, 
That, by the way, is a fallacy. There's only four immaterial things they recognize, and basically it's just thought. They don't even realize that an emotion is immaterial. They would be very modernistic, saying, well, emotion is just a chemical imbalance in your brain. That's stoicism. That's where that explanation, that's how logic works. So the logic of a stoic is, okay, there's nothing but the material. How do I explain a thought? Well, that's just neurons firing in your brain. It doesn't matter that I can't physically create a thought or change one or erase one. They've tried. It doesn't work, which means that somehow or another, the thought is not connected to your physical body. They'll ignore that. To the Stoic, anything that doesn't jive with their worldview has no meaning. Okay, well, there's a counterpart to that to a Hebrew. Um, I know this is a hodgepodge thinking. I know it's confusing. Kind of confusing to me too. I haven't had a chance to sit down and put this in my head. But here's part of what happens. To a Stoic, every the, the noun, to the Greek mind, the noun is what's important. To the language, even in English, noun, object-centered. To the Hebrew, we've covered this before. To the Hebrew, it's verb-centered, action. So to the Greek, it's it's identity and to in, in a thing. And to the Hebrew, it's what do you do? What's, what's happening? What's going on? So to a Stoic, if it doesn't make sense, they throw it away. It doesn't exist. It, it, okay, so if, if, if this idea of a non-material thing, well, he can't define a non-material thing, so it doesn't exist. Now, let's say you're a Hebrew. Now, they kind of treat verbs as nouns in a kind of way. Okay, so if you've got an action, well, the action is a thing in and it's of itself. You can define the action as a thing, okay? And we'll get into that in another day. But to a Hebrew, you don't become and arrive. To the Hebrew thinking, it's a constant action. I am constantly my whole life becoming Joe. Well, to a Stoic, I can arrive. I have Once I have the understanding of the natural world, I have arrived. I live the virtuous life now. I'm done. All I got to do now is practice it. There's no higher order. I, I've, I've achieved enlightenment. That's Gnostic thinking. But to the Hebrew, I will always be becoming Joe for my entire life. It, it, you know, to the, to the, to the uh, Stoic, once saved, I'm always saved. Y'all understand what I just said? Once you're saved, you're always saved because you've arrived. To the Hebrew, I am saved, being saved, will be saved. That's actually in scripture. The once saved, always saved is not. How did that get into our Christian understanding? By reading the Bible with a stoic mindset. So the kingdom of God has arrived. Well, this is why stoics think that it's still in the future. Because they don't see it here. Jesus isn't here. So we've got to be waiting for the rapture and the return and the millennial reign. Why? Because Jesus isn't here. Yes, he is. He's in my heart. Well, you can't show me that. That's not material. To the Hebrew mind, the spirit and the son live in my heart. The kingdom is here, is coming, and will come because it's a constant action. So the Stoic will look at things and say, Daniel, 70 weeks. Say, well, the 70th week hasn't happened yet. That's because to the to the Hebrew, they say to the Jew, if it's not going on, it just time stops and then it picks up later. 
Well, that period, they're kind of right. The Stoic in that case, the, the Western thinking is kind of right, but not quite. That's because they're thinking as a Stoic. If you think as a Hebrew, it's a period of, of constant action. And then when there is no action, nothing exists. That has no concept. The lack of action has no concept. That, that's a non-thing to a Hebrew. Just like if it's not material, it's a non-thing to a Stoic. If it's not constant action, it's a non-thing to a Hebrew. But to the Hebrew mindset, standing still is still an action. It's a passive action. You're still standing to a Stoic. Standing would mean you've already arrived. You're done. The thing, the action's finished. Now you're just there. To the Hebrew, he's still continuing his action. You want to see how this works? I'll show you. In the beginning, you know, God creates the earth in six days, and then he rests on the seventh day. To a Stoic, he quits working. To the Hebrew, he did not quit working. He quit creating. But he is now in the seventh day rest where he now is governing his creation. He's still in motion. He still has a part of an action. He's just not creating. He's ceased creating. But he's still doing. The ongoing doing is still going on. It's one of the reasons that the Western mind doesn't properly understand the Sabbath. It's you, you, This is huge, folks, because if you read the Bible with a Stoic Western mindset, you must get it wrong by definition, and in some cases wrong in a way that is doctrinal, salvational. It is very important that we understand these things. This is what the Hebrew Roots Movement has been trying to do, trying to explain to the modern believer, hey, 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 Bible was written by Hebrews to Hebrews from a he, with the Hebrew language and a Hebrew mindset and a Hebrew culture. It must be interpreted through that lens. Torah observant Hebrew lens. Christian says, no, I can read it in any culture and I'll get what I need out of it. No, you won't. Not necessarily. You can get just enough to find your way into the kingdom. You will not get all the flavor that goes with it. What you will do in the process, if you're reading it with the wrong worldview, the wrong filter, you'll create a lot of heresies. And the Bible is very clear that if you're worshiping in the wrong way, he doesn't recognize it. You can accidentally, in good faith, create a different Messiah and even a different creator by reading the Bible with that stoic lens. This is what has happened to the Western world, but it has happened in a lot of other things as well. Science, uh, the, the progressivism is a stoic lens laid over the, the Constitution. This is why the, the progressive does not see the religious nature of the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. They're not reading it from that religious perspective. And in this case, it's a Christian religious perspective. Let's go back here and read the, this, this next paragraph here. So the Stoics believe that perception is the basis of true knowledge. Perception. Your five senses, that's the only. So if you don't learn it through one of your five senses, it is literally nonsense. Well, we all have that sixth sense that tells us you're being watched. The Stoic can't explain that. Have you ever had a friend that you were so close with that you just got a feeling that they were in trouble? You picked up the phone and, yeah, something was going on in their life? Something major? The Stoic can't explain that. So this, to the Stoic, that's all just eh, coincidence. To a Hebrew, that's a connection through the spiritual world. 
they can't explain that. That that was a maybe a spirit came and whispered in your ear and influenced your thinking and told you, hey, and you were receptive to the message. A Hebrew mindset can't explain that because it accepts that the spirit world is a greater reality than the material. Stoic cannot do this, not, not be true to their thinking. So in logic, their comprehensive presentation, back to the article, their comprehensive presentation of a topic is derived from perception, yielding not only the judgment that knowledge is possible, but also that certainty is possible on the analogy of the incorrigibility of perceptual experience. What? In other words, your reality is true for you. Mine is true for me. That's where this comes from. Perception. All of us do perceive things differently. If you and I look at certain color photographs, you know, where they hide the numbers within these little colored dots and everything, some of us are going to be able to see numbers that the others can't. Some of us are colorblind. Others don't have as many cones and rods and everything in your eyes, so you can't see the full range of colors in some of these little dot numbers. I see at least 39 different colors. I've never found one of those, you know, the numbers in the colored dots. I've never found one I couldn't read. I've seen many that other people couldn't read, and I never understood that. So to me, the number exists, but to other people, it doesn't. That is a stoic way of looking at things. To the one, it doesn't exist. To the other, it does, and they're happy with that. Hebrew wouldn't be happy with that. Hebrew would just tell you that God hasn't opened your eyes to that for some reason. For whatever reason, you can't see it. Hebrew would have an understanding and explanation for that that fits within their worldview. The Stoics' explanation is it doesn't exist, or it exists for you and not for me. From the Stoic perspective, folks, this is important. Please try to understand this. From the Stoics' perspective, that's perfectly rational. From their worldview, logic does dictate that if you can't see the number in that little dot circle with all the colored dots, it doesn't exist for you. Now, here's where the problem comes in. What if those of us who are tetrachromatons that can see all of those numbers, we hey, it's there. No, it didn't. There are more people who can't see some of those numbers than there are who can. So let's say there's five of us who can see it and 95 who can't. Well, the five of us must be crazy. And then the weight of the 95 will bear down on the five who can see it. And now we're ostracized because we're the crazy ones. They're not wrong in that thinking either because they cannot see it. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The Hebrew mind is perfectly happy with this. It just means for whatever reason, you can see something they can't. Maybe you're a prophet. They don't know, but they're happy. They'll accept this. This is Eastern thinking versus Western thinking. They will accept that. Okay, you see it. Cool. And it will be as real to them as it is to you, at least in concept. They will accept that you see it. They'll even act on that because you tell them otherwise. They may not see it, but they'll trust you. Some of them will. This is a very different way of thinking and looking at the world. It's a very different way of living because to the Stoic, you have to live according to what you see and know. So if I don't see the number Joe sees, it does not exist. I must live that way. And I have to treat Joe accordingly. But to the Hebrew, I don't have to see it to know it exists. It might be a spiritual thing that Joe can see. For whatever reason, God wants Joe to see it. He doesn't want me to see it. I'll trust on that. So I might act differently towards somebody who can see something that I can't. Now, in a way that this class will appreciate, some people will see patterns in the world 
and the rest of the world won't see it. So we'll label the ones who say they see the patterns conspiracy theory kooks. It's amazing how those conspiracy theory kooks are running a really good batting average with telling you what's going on in the world before it happens, isn't it? Excuse me for a second. <coughs> Sorry about that. Anyhow, they saw it. They told you what was going on. Then when it does actually happen, now you see it. Now it's real to you. That's stoic thinking. Somebody who had a spiritual mindset might have said, okay, I, I may not see it, and I'm skeptical, but I'm going to allow that you might actually see it. And I might, even if it's something that I'm convinced that you're actually seeing, I might start acting in a way that takes into account what you see, and I don't, just in case. Th that's one of the biggest differences between a Hebrew way of looking at the world and a Stoic way of looking at the world. And it will taint the way we see our faith. Excuse me. Let's go back to this. I want to finish up with this paragraph before we go to the break. So to, to the Stoic, the world is composed of nothing but material things with a few exceptions. Like meaning is not a material thing, but meaning they'll, they'll exist. They, they say it exists. They acknowledge just enough to make their language work. And the irreducible element, the, the lowest common denominator in everything in the world is right reason, which pervades the whole world as a divine fire. There's the force. God is right reason for the Stoic. Well, what is right reason? That's if you reason properly. It could be that the reason I see the numbers and you don't is because I'm reasoning properly and you're not. Do you all understand? How many times have I told you that to a progressive, they see things you don't, therefore they have a moral duty to do things in this world, whether you like it or not, they have to save you from yourself. That's stoic thinking. They see it, you don't. Well, remember the the the. Stoic says that you have a duty to society. We're going to keep reading through this because it's important in this, in this article. There's some more things in here I want you to see. And it'll make more sense when we get to it. It'll make a lot more sense. But to the Stoic, you have a duty to the whole of mankind. Well, if I see it and I know my perception is true and I've got that secret right reasoning, everybody else is reasoning wrong. I now have a moral duty to act and save you from yourself. That's stoic thinking. The scriptures do not teach that. I have a moral duty to warn you, to try to get you to understand. But if you refuse to see or you cannot see or you will not accept, I am to walk away from you and leave you be. That's different thinking. It's not my job to save you. That's God's job and the Messiah's job. The stoic takes it upon themselves. This is important, folks, because this is where your church starts thinking. This is how the Catholic Church in ancient medieval times thought they had to save the sinners. That's stoic thinking. It has, and it has not gone anywhere. It has, it still pervades the church. So let's finish this up real quick and we'll go to the break. Just this one paragraph we're in. Okay. So all things, right reason, which blah, blah, blah. And then it says things such as material or corporal bodies are governed by this reason or by fate. For them, that inherent reason that, it, that the divine fire is also known as fate, karma. All of those, that fate, karma, things like that, that's all, that's 
that's the inherent reason in the universe. And it, it's it, virtue is inherent as well. The world, the world in its awesome entirety is, is, is uh, it's ruled in a way that exhibits the grandeur and orderly arrangement that can only serve as a standard for humankind in the regulation and ordering of life. In other words, the way the universe is made is proof that the universe is God. That That's sort of how they think. They may not say it that way, but that's, that's where they're going because th that order in the universe is a result of right reasoning. And you have to get in line with that. So this is a form of pagan conceptualization of the world that's been overwritten onto your Christian scriptures. It says, so to them, thus, the goal of humans is to live according to nature in agreement with the world design. Well, now, let me ask you a simple question. If I follow the original intent of the founding fathers and somebody else follows the original intent of Woodrow Wilson, which one of us is living in accordance to the world's design? To Woodrow Wilson, he is. To me, I am. Stoics perfectly happy with that, except that the Stoic will say one of us is right and the other is wrong, or we could both be wrong because we might not be reasoning properly. We may not have that secret knowledge of how to write reason. You've heard me use that term before, right reasoning. Be careful with it. Right reasoning is not secret. Everybody can figure this out. How do I protect myself from it? To the extent that I can, it's because I know that you may see things differently than I do. That does not mean that what you see or don't see does or doesn't exist. It means I don't perceive it that way. But for you, the way I say, ha we froze, Charlie. <laughs> for you, the way you see the world is just as real as the way I see it. But that does not mean that objective reality, the reality that exists outside of your perception and mine, it doesn't mean that that reality does not exist. To the Stoic, it does exist, but only a few people will find it. Only the enlightened ones. This is what gets you to the Illuminati, which is just another name for Gnosticism, which is just a name for Kabbalah. It was within the Jewish faith already, before the Stoics came around. For all I know, they got it from the Kabbalists. We're not done yet. I know that this may not seem like it's setting the grounds for what we're going to be doing with the uh, church versus the Hebrew roots movement. But in future episodes, I think I'll show you this is everything. This is the keystone, the Rosetta Stone to understanding this conflict. I'll see you in six minutes and we'll continue. Please stay with me. This is important. See you in a bit.
we're back and we're still working on a few things thanks to our dodo cop caller um <laughs> we're charlie's on a mission <laughs> i'm still angry but i have a solution all right we're gonna get right back into where we were at i'm gonna take you back to this article from uh, encyclopedia britannica online about the stoics this is where i'm going to start to really hopefully start connecting fireflies for you we're going to go to the next paragraph here where we were reading. It says, for the Stoic, moral theory is also based on the view that the world, as one great city, is a unity. You know, it takes a village. Um, humans, as world citizens, have an obligation and a loyalty to all things in that city. Now, here's the thing, folks. Um, this is not all that separated from the Hebrew mindset in that, you know, you the kingdom of Yahweh is, is one kingdom. Okay. And it's a universalistic. It's not necessarily, it's a spiritual kingdom, but it has a physical reflection, things like this, but to the, to the stoic, no such thing. It, it, it is a, you could describe it as a spiritual kingdom. They don't see it that way. They only see it as the material physical. This is Marx. This is global government. So let's, let's keep going with this. Say they, meaning the stoics, must or, or human beings rather they must play an active role in world affairs remembering that the world exemplifies virtue and right action so each individual must be political remembering that it's virtue is the right action the, the virtue being a, alignment with natural law as they understand it from their thinking and reasoning without experimentation this will quickly get you into Hobbes's idea of natural law, the Leviathan. This will get you in a lot of trouble if you're going, because there's no moral compass here. Remember what I just told you. Some people can perceive it one way, some perceive it to another, and to a Stoic, there's this is Ayn Rand's thinking. This is where she gets in trouble. She has no moral compass. Very Stoic in their thinking. To a Stoic, I don't know that they ever realize this, but they make themselves into their own individual God. But they won't recognize that because they don't, to them, the, the, the way I get there is a non-thing to them. It's nonsense. So you have to act globally. All things are political. Thus, moral worth, duty, and justice are singularly stoic emphasis together with certain sternness of mind. In other words, you got to be very single-minded in this to be a good Stoic. For the moral person, neither is merciful nor shows pity because each suggests a deviation from the duty from the fated necessities that rule the world. In other words, don't be, don't be kind and don't be, you know, no, don't have pity or mercy. Don't be kind because those have no revel, they, they, they have no meaning. They're irrelevant. The emotions, you know, they'll tell you that they're not emotionless. But to live the way they teach you tends to suggest you need to be a Vulcan. Okay, we'll come to that name again. Um, nonetheless, with its loftiness, and this is the bias in the author here, nonetheless, with its loftiness of spirit and its emphasis on the individual's essential worth, the themes of universal brotherhood and the benevolence of divine nature make Stoicism one of the most appealing philosophies. Folks, that is essentially Unitarianism. And this is the, the 
that's got nothing to do with the Bible. That is not a Hebraic way of thinking. It sounds like one. It's got the essence and form of it, but that has got the wrong origins. This is what happens when we use the same words. And in this case, same basic, what appears to be same basic concepts, but aren't. So, you know, universal brotherhood, right? We're all brothers in Christ. No, 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 no. They say you're all brothers in humanity. So it's benevolence to everybody. That's not what the Bible teaches. It is. No, it isn't. Peace on earth to men of goodwill. We twist it to in goodwill toward men. It says peace to men of goodwill. The Bible is hostile to lawless people. Never once tells believers to be in a friendship with them. Not once. Calls them enemies of God, enemies of Yahweh. That's not benevolence. And it says the divine nature that's logos. That's that's the universe as though it's alive. That's not biblical, but that's how the Stoics see it. This is Unitarianism. All paths get to heaven. This is God is love. That's true in the Bible. He is. He's agape. And that's not what the church teaches today. The world seems to think that God is filio and eros. Well, those are different Greek ideas of love. That's friendship and eroticism acceptance, tolerance. The Bible is very intolerant of certain peoples. It doesn't tell you to make friends with them. It tells you to get rid of them. Even amongst the body of believers, it tells you, put that hammer knocker out of the congregation. Turn them over to Satan. Doesn't say they're not saved anymore, not part of the body, just to stick them out there in the wilderness again. These are two different mindsets. And if you come to the scriptures with the stoic mindset, you will misunderstand what it's teaching. You will. But if you come at it with an Orthodox Jewish mindset, Hebrew roots, and if in what you, you say Hebrew roots, but what you mean is Jewish roots, then you're going to be a very good little Pharisee. And that's just as heretical as the modern Christian church is, just in a different direction. Stray neither to the left nor the right. The left being legalism, the right being licentiousness. What? Legalism, you have to obey all these laws or you can't get to heaven. Licentiousness, God saved me, he's love, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm good to go. Orthodox Judaism, modern day Christianity. The left and the right. And you thought it meant Republican and Democrat, didn't you? <laughs> Silly you. See what happens when you're a good stoic. You get it wrong. One more paragraph in here we're going to look at before I'm going to go to a few other pages for you. So, so um, along with rivals, Stoicism enabled the individual to better order his own life and to avoid the excesses of human nature that promote disquieting, uh, disquietude and anxiety. Makes you feel, well, this is the Bible telling you to trust God and be at peace with yourself. Okay, but this is because you got in line with, you know, Gaia, the the God of the universe or the force. This is this is the Jedi. He's at peace with himself because he's one with the force. This is not being in line with Yahweh, the creator of the universe. Remember, for the Stoic, all things are material. So it was easily the most influential of the schools, you know, Roman, you know, Greek and Roman the uh, philosophy from the time of its founding through the first two centuries common era. And it continued to have a marked effect on later thought. 
during the late Roman and medieval periods, elements of Stoic moral theory were known and used in the formulation of Christian, Jewish, and Islamic theories of humanity and nature and of the state of society and law and sanctions. In other words, the work like with the works of Cicero, a Roman statesman, an orator, and Lactatius, often called the Christian Cicero, and in Bathias, a scholar, um, traditional scholar in the Middle Ages. If you take that Stoic thinking and you write it into your Jewish, Christian, and Islamic thinking, you've just strayed from the Bible. You've strayed from the Hebrew way of thinking. But this is also why people like, you've heard me talk lovingly of Cicero. He finds he finds natural law as Paul defines it in Romans 1 and 2. So does John Locke. you got to be careful. Cicero found it, but he didn't recognize its source. To him, it's logos. You know, like John said, it was logos. No, 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 no. That's the Greek word they used because the Greeks don't have a word for devar. This is all translational things. But in this case, misunderstanding John 1.1 is a doctrinal problem that will lead you astray from salvation. Because if you're a Stoic and you think John 1.1 says that I, I have to, uh, you know, Jesus the Messiah is this all-pervasive natural law that's inherent in the universe. Well, congratulations, you've just made up a new Jesus. And which means that by by nature, your gospel is going to be a different gospel. What did Paul say? If you're teaching a different Jesus and a different gospel, you're to be accursed. So you have to understand this properly. Most of our pastors today have no understanding of this. Most of the people teaching them have no understanding of this. It's been lost to us because the enemy has been at work for 2,000 years or more just in this area, just with the stoic thinking. And we've adopted too much of it. Let's get back to what we were reading here real quick. So we've adopted this into into our our thinking. Um, In the Renaissance, stoic political and moral theory became more popular to the theorists of natural law. Remember, there are different areas of natural law. And political authority and education and reform uh, Hugo Grotius, uh, Huguenots, as in French Revolution and everything. He's a Dutch jurist and a statesman. And then Philip, uh, all these different names, that doesn't matter. But here's the problem I want you to look at. This is neo-Orthodox Protestant theology. It is, in recent times, it's it raised itself back up, and it's starting to get into modern-day Protestantism. Stoicism also played an important role in reassessments of history of logic. All right, we're going to skip through this and we're going to go right here. This is Thought Company or Thought Co. You know I've used this page before. I like it. I like the work they do. It says, Stoicism and Moral Philosophy, the Eight Principles of Stoicism. We're just going to scroll right down here to to their eight principles. Nature. Nature is rational. To the Hebrew, nature doesn't exist. Not that way. Nature is a material thing. It is a created thing that was created by God. It doesn't think it is not rational it just is it obeys the orders of the creator it obeys the creator's laws this is john locke's natural law the stoic says nature is reason it's inherent in nature so nate in a sense in a very real sense to a stoic nature thinks that's paganism through and through law of reason The universe is governed by the law of reason. 
Humans can't actually escape its inexorable force, but they can uniquely follow the law deliberately. Again, to the Hebrew, this doesn't make sense. You can choose to follow the laws of the creator, which are governed by the, the, this creation is governed by his laws and you can follow them or you can rebel. To the Stoic, you have no free will. You're governed by these laws, but they make like you do have free will when you don't. Hebrew says you do have free will. You can rebel or you can choose to get in line with the creator. But to a Stoic, these laws of reason, you can't escape them. Really? You do this all the time. But you have to follow the law deliberately. Well, that's a Hebrew idea. It's called being born again or crossing over, which is what Hebrew means. To a Stoic, well, that's Ayn Rand thinking. But the Hebrew says what's right and wrong is Yahweh's teaching, his commands and stuff. To the Stoic, it's whatever you perceive nature to be. That's a very... A Hobbesian way of looking at natural law. That's a very progressive way of looking at natural law. Those are two different mindsets there, folks. They are not. You cannot make them coexist. They're, they oppose each other. This is universalism. So to For virtue, a life led according to the rational nature is virtuous. Okay, again, a life, nature is virtuous. Nature's reason. So you got to live a life in accordance with the virtue of nature of Gaia. You're just worshiping the universe. Literally, that's what you're doing by definition. You're living according to the dictates of the universe as you perceive them, which makes you your own God. This is square into the, the Stoics will get you square into the crosshairs of Second Thessalonians 2. But now to the Bible, well, yeah, the life living according to rational nature. Well, no, 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 no lived according to the laws of God. Nature, the laws of nature being one of his subset books, according to Paul in the book of Romans 1 and 2. So if you do not have the revealed divine law in the scriptures, you can still look to nature to get the secondary law. But it is a law given by a lawgiver. And that lawgiver is not the universe itself, but the one who created it. This is rooted, the Stoic idea is pagan. Through and through. It says wisdom. Wisdom is the root of virtue, for it springs the cardinal virtues, insight, bravery, self-control, and justice, et cetera, et cetera. There's no fear of a creator there. To the Hebrew mindset, wisdom starts with the fear of the creator, fear of Yahweh. If you don't have fear of the one who creates wisdom, then you think you've created wisdom according to your reason and you become your own god. So not only is this pagan, it's also very libertarian. Matter of fact, that's probably where the libertarian ideal comes from. It stems probably more than likely, if I do the research, it flows naturally from stoicism. Apatheia. Since passion is irrational, life should be waged as a battle against it. Intense feeling should be avoided. In the next page, we're going to bring this up. I'm going to sidestep this issue for a minute. This is huge. Pleasure. Pleasure is neither good nor bad. It is only acceptable if it doesn't interfere with the quest for virtue, which is to get in line with the universe, the force, be a good Jedi. Evil. Poverty, illness, death are not evil. Do you understand what the Stoic just said? There's no good nor bad. 
the Hebrew mindset says there is good and evil. Good is in alignment with the creator. Evil is anything in rebellion to him. The Stoic cannot understand that. It doesn't exist to him or her. But to the Hebrew, it sure does. That's everything in life. Is it good or bad? Stoic does not allow for that, which means what's good for you might be bad for me and what's bad for me. I mean, what's good for me might be bad, bad for you. In other words, this is just... Um, Say it with me, class. Woodrow. Exactly. Finally, duty. Virtue should be sought, not for the sake of pleasure, but for duty. You have a duty to do this. Now, I told you we were going to sidestep one. We're going to go over the core ethics of this again. Um, if you want a smooth flow of life, live according to nature. Uh, their idea of nature. Nature is its own God. Happiness isn't found in things, but in virtue alone. It's all about what we value and in ch- the choices we make. That would seem like a biblical thing until you look at it as a Stoic looks at it. This is all a, a kind of like equivocation. Sounds, the, you know, what, what is this up here? It's all about what we have values and choices we make and everything. Uh, we're five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States. You hear one thing, he meant another. Got to be careful how the Stoics work. Three, we don't control external events. We only control our thoughts, opinions, decisions, and duties. That's a black-white thing for a Stoic. This is not true. Comment on the board from the Arctic tortoise. That is why the mass murder is very virtuous in his mind, correct? Yes. That would fit into a into a Stoic's life if, yes, you can get there. And to the Stoic, that'll be moral. Um, one of these days, we'll have to talk about John Stuart Mill. He's a hero of the libertarian movement, the Western libertarian movement, but he's very rooted in Stoic thinking. Number four, we each we each been given all inner resources that we need to thrive. You have everything you need to, to, to be happy. Well, not happy. You have everything you need within you to live the virtuous life. You don't need anything else. You have all your resources. That leads to rugged individualism. We must eliminate toxic emotions. Why hope, fear, or our anger are always our worst strategies? In other words, get rid of any emotion. Very Be very Vulcan. We are and must remain a unified self. We can't complain or blame anyone else. Best to deal with our own demons. That's a unified self within yourself, within individually. But also, don't forget, you're part of a world city. So you have to be unified with humanity as well. That conflicts with uh, number four. They just don't realize that. It says, no man is an island. The stoic golden rule. Uh Uh-huh, right. Here's where I wanted us to go with this real quick. This is just looking at this from our current perspective in our world today. If you follow stoicism, stoicism, there's no friendship and no love because those are emotions and you got to get rid of those things. You want to live in a stoic world? No friendship, no love. The Bible tells you love is the greatest of all things. Mm -hmm. You got to make yourself invulnerable if you're a stoic. That's not possible at least not in the Hebrew mindset, but to the Stoic, that's the ultimate virtue. Make it so that nobody can harm you. That's why you have no love, no friendship. So that when somebody dies or somebody betrays you, you're not harmed by it. It doesn't make you feel bad. You got to live totally isolated. And this is no man is an island, but to a Stoic, that's the ultimate ideal of virtue. 
You live all on your own, totally isolated. You see how Satan's working in this? If he separates you from the community of believers, you're easier to defeat. Then it says, keep the baby with the bath water. What they mean by that is don't throw away stoicism just because it leads to all these bad things. Well, I don't know that I want to keep stoicism if it's going to lead to all these bad things. Now, what does all of this have to do with, I don't know, with, with like when I was bringing up, you know, we're going to talk about the Hebrew Roots Movement. The Hebrew Roots Movement is, it, it, it's first of all, it's a phenomenon that cuts across all denominations, even into Judaism. Okay, you, you got Masonic believers. They'll tell you, we're not Hebrew Roots. Technically, they're right. They're actually probably closest to where the Hebrew Roots movement should be trying to get. But we'll address all of that next week when I do the class I tried to and I set out to do today. But the Hebrew Roots movement is, is it's a blanket term. I don't even know that they apply it to themselves, but it's a blanket term that covers a lot of different people. With It's like a, throwing a blanket over a bunch of cats. And I mean, you got like 5,000 cats in the field and you toss a blanket over all of them. And why do I say cats? Because as you study this movement, you don't seem to find new, no two congregations agree with each other. But there's still a velocity vector here. The goal is to get back to understanding the scripture on their own, it, its own terms, the scriptures on their own terms. That at least is the stated goal of these people in the Hebrew Roots Movement. Now, why is that important? Well, our Christians don't like to study the Old Testament very closely especially from a Torah-observant Hebrew mindset. If they did, they would discover that the Bible tells you this is going to happen toward the closing time of, of this epoch. As we get closer to the Messiah returning, there is going to be a movement to get back to the true faith. It started with the Protestant Reformation, and it's been going on ever since. We like to look at it and think, well, if it's going to be prophecy, it has to happen all in, in a blink of an eye. No. That's the Hebrew way of thinking. It's here now, and it's coming, and it will come. So when the prophet tells you these things are going to happen, he's Hebrew. He understands it may not happen in the It may. It may not. He doesn't know how Yahweh is going to choose to act. So Yahweh will act in the day of the Lord. Well, a Stoic reads that, and he says, oh, one day, Armageddon. No. To the Hebrew mind, the day of the Lord is the day that Yahweh acts. Yahweh stands. It's still in action, even though to the Stoic, nothing's going on, so that doesn't mean anything. But to the Hebrew, he's still standing. He is actively standing. He's doing something. He is choosing to stand wherever he's at, in the midst of his congregation, whatever. He stands, he stands, he stands, and stands, and then one day something happens, and he acts. Now, to the Stoic, he has to act all at once. He's got to do it and be done with it. But to the Hebrew, he acts. Well, that action could take a long time. So on the day of the Lord, when he brings the Messiah and starts his kingdom, Messiah says, the kingdom has come upon you. That's the day of the Lord, the day the Lord acted. But the action may not be finished until all of time is over with. The Stoic would say, yeah, that's nonsense, because it doesn't make sense to the Stoic's philosophy. But I can take the Hebrew mindset, worldview, philosophy, and the Stoics mindset, worldview, and philosophy and apply the exact same rules of logic to them. And they will be consistent within those two worldviews. 
and they will arrive at conclusions that make sense to those two worldviews. Now, let's say we have 10 worldviews. They can't all be in alignment with objective reality. They may, might be none of them are, but let's say one of them is. How do you test it? How do you know which worldview aligns with objective reality? I don't know, Joe. Well, can I test the Stoics worldview? Yes, I can test it according to its self. Very easy. How do emotions exist? Well, it's just chemical properties within your body. Okay, fine. That's eros, you know, erotic emotional love and maybe even friendship love because you get something out of that, you know, your selfish side. How do I explain the self-sacrificing love? Because to the Stoics virtue, that is not in line with natural law. Unless I'm sacrificing myself to save my children, natural law says I don't sacrifice myself for anything or anybody else. And yet, why did Socrates agree to kill himself? For the good of society. What animal kills itself for the good of its species? Maybe a lemming, maybe. But then to the Stoic, it's not reason if you don't choose it. Remember, you have to choose it. Well, the lemming doesn't choose to do what they're doing. That's instinct. So what animal has, well, no animal has the right to do. Ah, guess what you just discovered? Human beings do not operate according to the laws of nature. If they did, we would operate strictly by instinct, which tells me that stoicism is internally self-contradicting. Whoopsie. Poof. That is not the objective reality world set that I worldview that I want. It's an internal and there's it'll do this in more than one way. It's internally self-contradicting. Doesn't mean it's not useful, but it means as a worldview, it's internally self-contradicting. I've used the same rules of logic to destroy it. Now the Bible tells me I have given you prophecy so that when it happens, you can look back on it and know that I told the end from the beginning and that I am Elohim. I am the creator. And when you test the Bible on that grounds, its grounds, it holds up every time. Especially if you are understanding the prophecy with a Hebrew mindset. Check. Got it. Now I come at it with a stoic mindset. Oh, it's just myth and fable. Talks about Hittites. There are, oh, wait a minute. I found Hittites. That's ah, just myth and fable. It talks about oil under the ground and everything there in the northern parts of, of, of the land of Israel. And you can't find oil under, oh, wait a minute. We found oil under the mountains exactly where Moses said they'd find it. Yeah, but that's not what he meant. He meant, oh, uh, well, it doesn't matter. It was a material reflection of the prophecy. Well, it was a blessing. Blessings are prophecy. Crap. If you're a Stoic, the Bible, taken on its terms, has never failed. Not to the knowledge of man. Well, Joe, that's just secret knowledge. You're saying the same thing as if I don't know right reason, I'm never going to get there. And if you don't know how to take the Bible on its terms, ah, but the Bible can be learned on its terms. It's not secret. It's there for everybody to learn. And I don't have to interpret through perception. Because as I dig hard to understand, the Holy Spirit will start guiding me, just as it promises. 
but you can acknowledge the guidance of the Holy Spirit if you're a Stoic, because that's not material. It's nonsense. Do you see the danger of a Stoic mindset overlapped on top of Scripture? Do you see how it will get you in the wrong direction? But at the same time, if you bring that Stoic mindset to your Scriptures, and you think, oh, i got to go be a Jew, well, you've now used Stoicism to take you in the wrong direction. And this is, you know, you're still going, you're going from frying pan into the fire. And this is what a great number of the people in the Hebrew Roots Movement have done. Well-intentioned, but they've gone way too far. They, they, they jumped out of the right swing of licentiousness on the pendulum all the way to the left swing and forgot to hop off in the middle when the pendulum was straight down in the center. And we're going to address some of that in the future using logic and the scriptures from a Hebrew mindset, meaning a crossed over born again mindset that acknowledges that Yahweh is the creator of the universe. and He's got two sets of law books, according to Paul on the books of Romans one and two. He's got the natural order of this world, which Job recognizes in the book of Job. And he's also got the revealed law, the scriptures, the oracles that he trusted to his people, originally the people of Israel, the Hebrew people of, of the nation of Israel. And now, to the greater Israel, the borderless nation, which is a physical reflection of the spiritual nation of all those who contend with and strive with Yahweh. Try to do it his way. We're the keepers of the oracle. We're to teach this word to whoever will listen. But we're not good Stoics. If people reject the message, we are not. we don't have a duty to force them to listen and obey. We have a duty to pray for them and hope that Yahweh opens their eyes and their hearts. But we have a duty to shake off the dirt from our sandals and move on. Unfortunately, we got a lot of Christians who think they have to force people into this hell damnation for you and you know the Westboro Baptist Church idiots. Yes, idiots, because you're not following the rule book. But that's very stoic of them. They're perfectly in line with a stoic interpretation of the scriptures. They're doing exactly what the Stoic philosophy would tell them they have to do. If you don't understand the differences in these worldviews, and you don't even have to necessarily accept the labels we've put on them and the segregations between Stoic and whatever else, because to be honest with you, the world we live in now is a bit of a mixture of all of them. So there's no neat, clean label that you can lay over it. Look for the influences of Stoic thinking. Today, we call it progressivism, secular humanism. To the Hebrew, there's no such thing as secular. There's either Team Yahweh or Team Satan. There's no, there's nothing in between. And no matter what you do, none of it. Secular, in our, our language, pretty much means without, no religion. doesn't have anything to do with God. Well, to the Hebrew, that doesn't exist. Everything deals with God, whether or not you're obedient or disobedient, in line with the king and in the kingdom, or in rebellion and kicked out of the kingdom. If you're rebellious, that's death. If you're in line, you have hope that the Messiah will rescue you from death. Stoic? Big deal. Once you're dead, 
it all ends. They don't, you know, there's nothing. It just ceases to be because everything's material. A little newsflash for you folks. If you knew for certain that when you died, it just ended. There was no afterlife. There was nothing. It just ended. This world would be a living nightmare because there would be nothing to stop people from eating, drinking, and being merry, rape, pillaging, and plunder for tomorrow they die. Where's the fear of death? If there's no penalty, why fear death? But not to a Hebrew, death is the ultimate enemy, the, do- the ultimate thing to be avoided because death separates you from Yahweh, the central point of everything in their life. Comment on the board from the Arctic Tortoise, who goes to a game and does not cheer for one team or the other? The announcers, Tortoise, they're always neutral. The referees are always neutral. Unless, of course, it's an ACC team refereeing an SEC team <laughs> or vice versa. <laughs> Yeah, point made there, Tortoise. So where I started out wanting to address something different today, I realized I can't go there without stopping first and explaining something that's laying in the background of all of this. Stoic thinking. And it has risen its head in recent days. Last half a century or so. Like almost about the pretty close in relation in time to 1948. That date keeps coming up over and over again. I wonder why. 48 and 60, you know, in the middle of the 60s, mid-60s, 67. Pretty sure that there's a marker in there somewhere that we want to be paying attention. Oh, yeah, that's right. Israel comes back as a nation. I want to explain to you why this is important from the stoic way of looking at things. I I saw this just this morning. I had a friend of mine on Facebook. He says, Hey, you have to defend Israel. The Jews are back in the land. Yeah. The Jews, a good Hebrew would know that that's the tribe of Judah or at the very most, the kingdom of Judah. A Hebrew would realize that there's still 11 tribes missing at a minimum. So, my friend says, defend Israel, quoted a little bit of scripture. I had somebody else said, not the same Israel. So it's okay to hate the current Israel because they're not, they're fake Jews. They're false Jews. And they read the Bible and they see Paul talking about fake Jews. And they say, well, look, there you go. These are fake Jews. These are Ashkenazis or whatever else. From the stoic way of viewing, they're correct. So they curse Israel today because they're just fake Jews. And you know what they've done in the process? They've brought curses down on themselves because they are cursing Yahweh's people. What do I mean by that? Well, if you read this as a Hebrew, those folks who have crossed over and are trying to follow Yahweh's teachings and they recognize that it is Yahweh and his Messiah, Yeshua, it's not everybody. It's always a remnant within the people, within the body of the believers. It's always a remnant. The scriptures are clear on this. But what this individual on Facebook did is she's going to curse all of the people. And in the process, she's cursing the true remnant. Because if they're trying to follow him, be they Gentile, false Ashkenazis who are blended with the Jews, you know, they used to be Gentile. It doesn't matter if they crossed over and changed, if they converted, if they're proselytites. Yahweh in the Bible, Yahweh recognizes them as the house of Judah now, proselytes. 
converts. So they're, they're Israel. They're the house of Judah. Scripture, not me. But these people have read this from a very good Stoic perspective, and they are now cursing the Jews. And what does Scripture tell us is going to happen? Promises. You curse my people, I'll curse you. So they've brought Yahweh's curse down on their own head because they read their Bible with a Stoic, Western Greek, Hellenized mindset. And remember, if you're reading it with a Stoic, Greek, Hellenized mindset, Charlie, are we freezing up on your end? I just saw a screen freeze I a couple of times. I haven't seen it, but we All have right. some reports of problems on Rumble earlier. If you're going to read it with that mindset, you're going to be very individualistic in your thinking and very much in the danger zone of 2 Thessalonians 2. So you're going to think your understanding of Scripture is the only one that's correct. Well, Joe, you're guilty of that too. Yeah, I run in that. Yeah, I understand that, which is why I continuously tell you to test this for yourself. You have to work out your own salvation. Not my job to do that. My job to explain to you what I've learned and what I know, how I understand things at this time, show you how it connects, why I accept it, show you why I've gotten to this point, how do the math for you, show you the solutions, you grade the paper and decide whether or not it's right or wrong. That way you're responsible for this. See, that's another thing the scripture teaches. We are a body, we're a family. But under the renewed covenant, <laughs> you answer for yourself. Nobody is saved now because the head of the household is saved. That used to be. But I think it's in Jeremiah. It says, though a time is coming where the man will scarce save himself and will no longer be allowed, you know, be able to save the members of his household. That's new covenant talk. You are individualistic now under the new covenant. You stand before Yahweh and make an account for your actions on your own, not because somebody else told you you had to do something or couldn't do something. But at the same time, you're responsible to the body. Not necessarily to every human being. Scripture never tells Scripture tells you to feed your feed your enemy if they're hungry, clothe them if they're hungry, bind their wounds. But Charlie, unless I missed a guess and missed something, those are the only three things I'm commanded to do to the allies of Satan. Is there anything else? I mean, preach the word to him, yes. Well, you can pray yeah. for him. Pray for him, preach the word to him. But I mean, physically, I'm not required to take them into fellowship or to you know love on them as a brother, am I? No. No, nowhere in scripture. But you are commanded to take care of the body of believers, even to the point of putting them before yourself. So you will be accountable for that. So we're at a point where I want to wrap up for today. I'm going to quit a little early. Charlie, do you have anything that you want to throw in here or anything, questions on the board or anything that we need to address real quick? Uh, no, no. And I have a solution, but it may take a couple of days. Oh, to our phone. <laughs> I have, I have, I believe, a full solution. But we'll we'll get to that. I'm not as angry as I was earlier, folks. This that phone call has Charlie miffed, oh, and we apologize for the language. Yes, sorry. About if we that. do ever find out who those folks are, we oh, will we, we will push the full extent of the law yes, that's available to yes, us. We will whether or not that goes anywhere in this world we're in, you know, whatever. But we will pursue ramifications to that. Yes, and I'm not above handing this to my black hat. Oh no. 
And boy, if he grabs a hold of them and gets a sniff of who they are, Lord help him. <laughs> yes, Aaron, how's your <laughs> spiritual warfare going? Yes. And folks, that's another thing. If you look at all of this from that perspective, from a spiritual warfare, you see the hand of the enemy here. Subtle twists of how you see things, because that's how he handled it with Eve. Yes. Just it, it, a little it, subtle perfect. twist. Perfect. Yes. And that's all I have to do. And now all of a sudden, you can worship Yahweh any way you want. You know who you're worshiping. Yeah. That's not what the scriptures teach. But that's what a Stoic would say. If they even recognized a God. Right. Well, that's all I have for you today. We will get on out of here. End class a little early. It's Friday. Everybody always likes an early dismissal on a Friday, on a weekend. It's time to go party, right? So for the next three days, we're going to all act like a bunch of heathens until we come back to class on Monday. <laughs> and I won't be here Monday. Yep. Charlie won't be here. But luckily, at least at this point in time, we think my AI will be functioning properly and she'll be taking care of things for us. AI, do you think you're going to function properly on Monday? Being around you that long? We'll see. <laughs> Did you hear the pause there? The AI had to calculate. See? Proof that Natasha's actually just a, a robot. <sighs> Beep, boop. <laughs> Beep, boop. All right. We love you guys. We appreciate y'all being here this weekend. Um, as always, take all of this, study it for yourself. I've given you the links. You can read about the Stoics. Hopefully the fireflies start going off for yourself. Read them with as much as you can of a Hebrew mindset of your scriptures. Look for ways that the, the thinking uh, that pervades the most of the Western world these days has led us down the wrong path. Just, you know, if you've got thousands of years in your faith and I get you off by one degree, 2,000 years down the line, I'm an entire hemisphere away from where I should be. It's real easy to do. And you will defend that wrong thinking because you've been taught your whole life that that's the way you're supposed to be. Why do you vote Democrat? My whole family's always voted Democrat. I'm voting Democrat no matter what. Yeah, but they're they're communists. Yeah, I know. I hate communists, and then they're going to destroy the world, but I've got to keep voting Democrat. That's how the enemy works. Don't dance to his tune. If you like what we're doing, at least give us a thumb up on the, on the different places. Let Charlie and Natasha and I know that we did a good job that day. Share the show with your friends and family if you think that they'll benefit from it. We know that the show is two hours long and you know usually drives people crazy. Charlie has found a way that we're working on breaking this thing up so that we should be able to start posting these shows in shorter segments. We're working. We're still trying to evolve and, and grow. You see, we're being good Hebrews. We're becoming the road to Concord. See? 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 It helps. It helps. It's not evolution like Darwin. It's evolution in personal growth. That changes. You see, we haven't arrived and become just, this is what we are already. We can, we can rest. That's stoicism. Let's be Hebrews. Let's just keep becoming continue in our walk every day get better at it y'all have a good weekend stay safe we'll see you monday manic monday oh boy do i have a couple of things for you bye-bye everybody